making a podcast is a right pain in the arse. I mean, it seems like a good idea when you start, driven by the egos of people who think they've got something to say, something you might want to listen to. But the arrogance of it, and for what? Two more middle-aged white men regurgitating half-assed opinions about music on the margins of pop culture. Yeah, that's a gap that needs to be filled. Keep doing that, why don't you? Well, I'm afraid we will keep doing it, and we hope at the very least that somebody out there is enjoying it. Let me at least try and make the case that what we're doing is unique, or that we're somehow qualified. We're closing in on the end of our third season of Temporary Fandoms, a podcast that listens to complete discographies in order to learn something about the artistic process and hopefully discover some great records along the way. We started life as a Facebook group which now has over a thousand members and is still grinding away in the background. And over at tempfans.com, you'll find all the accumulated noise that has resulted from our efforts. And in the show notes, a link to a special Spotify playlist that cuts the chat together with the tunes. And it never ends. If you don't believe me, keep listening, because today we're taking a deep dive into the recordings of Brooklyn's Das Racist. Hello there, welcome to Temporary Fandoms. Um, I mean, this is actually the second time we recorded this, so all the really funny stuff I've said, I'm just not going to bother saying again. again. However, it's 40 degrees, it's really hot, it's the summer, and I'm sweltering here. So, I am Ewan. I'm Nick. And rejoining us for this part, um, last time you will have heard her will have been on Bjork. You'll have also previously heard her on Bowie, uh, Bowie, Bowie, and Love. It's Emily Baldoni. Hello there, and I'm coming to you from um, my grandmother's basement in in scenic central Illinois. Thank you. Oh, also, um, it really looks like just picture a grandmother's basement in 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 the Midwest, and it looks exactly like that. It's awesome. Um, Also, um, Emily, um, while you were driving out to Illinois through the cornfields, what did you listen to? Uh, As a matter of fact, I listened to like four episodes of the Temporary Fandoms podcast. It uh, helped me. um, It helped me not fall asleep while driving across the cornfields. It helped me um, keep focused and alert. Yeah, basically, as long as I don't send people to sleep, that's pretty much what I'm hoping for. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) rejoining us, uh, the last time you will have heard him will have been on the Butthole Surfers episode, um, way back in season one. Um, He uh, was also on the Mercury Prize episode. Um, He is a a major crossword puzzle setter. You'll have found his stuff in things such as the New York Times. It's Brendan Quigley. Hello, Brendan. Hey, Ewan. Well, you, Brit- you Brits call them setters, but in the States we're called constructors. But, you know, that's just like splitting hairs. And uh, But anyway, happy to be here again. It's uh, good to see your faces. Um, I'm splitting hairs. And now I think that's a, a puzzle. Am I going to spend this entire thing thinking splitting hairs? What does that mean? Hairs, that's an anagram because of splitting. Shire, Shire. Is the answer Shire? Man, welcome to my life. This is what I do all the time. It's like it's like kind of a borderline mental illness of just like hearing like disembodied phrases and like, oh, can I do a, make a puzzle out of that? And God, it's just uh, it's uh, just lock me up in the room and throw away the room, right? <laughs> okay. Um, thank you for coming back. And, and yeah. you are going to be guiding us through somebody, and that person that is what we're the, to it's today. the uh, rap group Das Racist, and uh, they were. A underground band from uh, where else? Brooklyn, New York, in the uh, early tens, right? Was it the early tens? Yeah, 
and we're doing three albums of theirs. Well, two mixtapes and an album. It's uh, Shut Up Dude, Sit Down Man, and Relax. And um, I think that's it, right? I mean, we could could do others, right? I mean, Nick's giving me this expression like, keep talking. (laughs) And also, uh, there's probably a couple of spinoffs we might address at the end. Um, Probably the most famous will have been Sweat Shot Boys um, featuring Riz. How do you pronounce it? Riz Ahmed? Ahmed, Yeah, I think so, yeah. Ahmed? Uh, Really sorry if you do actually listen to this, that I pronounced your name wrong. Uh, The entire afternoon I've been trying to pronounce Welsh words correctly for this podcast. So if I'm slipping up at this point, let's just go with it. Anyway, I'm starting to ramble. So we are going to hand you over to Brendan, who is going to take you through the albums. And his will be the first voice you hear after this. In the song Rooftop off Das Racist's 2010 mixtape, Sit Down Man, the rapper Heems describe their act as follows. Das Racist is an end to mind-wash religion, nowhere politics, bogus philosophies, probably possibly a mockery of monarchy. I'm complex like Corno's duopoly quantities. Are they for real? Did he really name-check an obscure French mathematician? You bet he did. But that's not all they name-check. It's as if the entirety of Wikipedia was fair game to pilfer and make fun of. In the same song, the other rapper, Cool AD, drops the completely uncommon plastic surgery, blafaroplasty, like it's something we've all heard of. They simultaneously come across as the best rap act ever, as well as a bunch of potheads making each other laugh. Are they serious? And they answer that question in the most das racist way possible. Quote, we're not joking, just joking, we are joking. Just joking, we're not joking. The story is familiar. A couple guys meet up at college. They're too smart to be in a band, but they decide to form one anyway. Himanshu Heems Suri and Victor Cool A.D. Vasquez met at Wesleyan University's Students of Color for Social Change dorm, where A.D. was Heems R.A. After relocating to Brooklyn, they brought on a hype man, Ashok Kandablu, who went by the Honorable Prophet Dapwell. They took their name from the wonder shows and meme of the little boy exaggeratedly saying, that's racist. According to their booking agent, DR described themselves as a white guilt art project slash science experiment slash Ponzi scheme. Yes, that all checks out. After coming to attention with a meme hit in 2008, they surprised everybody by putting out two mixtapes, both in 2010, full of proper songs. Shut Up Dude and Sit Down Man. 2011 saw them drop their only proper album, Relax, and then the wheels came off. Chances are, if you've only heard one Das Racist song, it's track three on the mixtape Shut Up Dude, called Combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell a viral meme hit from 2008 that framed the act as some sort of a Cheech and Chong electro thing. It was polarizing. Either you were on board with their sheer, so stupid it's smart brilliance, or you couldn't believe that this was even a thing. Because of course stupid shit like this is a thing on the internet. The rapper Heems was quoted in the Village Voice saying, I hope we're known solely for this song and none of the others. He probably got his wish. Which is a bit of a tragedy because, yeah, 
There's a lot of stoner humor in their oeuvre, but there's also a fuck ton of so stupid, wait, it's not stupid at all, actually, it's really smart brilliance as well. What do you do with a degree from Wesleyan? Obviously, you start a Def Jux worshipping rap act and show off all your vast literary slash academic highbrow slash lowbrow cultural references in, a, in dense ciphers. Internal rhyme schemes are a must, and you bet it's political too. You can't really call yourself das racist and not talk about race. It's never preachy though, just sharp satire. Loads of it, and eternally quotable. This mixtape was released as a free download on March 29th, 2010 on Heems' own record label, Greedhead, a project entirely funded by a severance package he got from a Wall Street job. And maybe that's what you do with a degree from Wesleyan. Released a scant six months after their first mixtape, Sit Down Man is pretty much more of the same affair. Look, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And if the other mixtape wasn't long enough, here's another hour plus. Once again, it is best enjoyed with a finger hovering over the skip button. One really can't help but wonder what might have been if they had just whittled down both mixtapes into one tight 45 to 50 minute collection. But seeing as Death Racist was imploding as fast as they were blowing up, surprise, surprise, frictions arose from the nonstop touring. Maybe this was okay then, as we now have more of them to love. This tape has some outside production for the first time, including contributions from Diplo, Chairlift, and others. It also has guest verses too. LP shows up and so does Rock Marciano, a couple other names that nobody's ever heard of. Hell, their hype man Dapp's only vocal contribution to the entire project is here on the track Sit Down People. Response to the album was euphoric. Critics and blogs raved about it. And while I enjoyed this one, I got the impression the public reaction was more of an overcorrection, having more or less ignored their superior debut. It was only a matter of time the Death Racist would be snatched up by a major. Yeah, it says Greedhead in the spot where the record label goes, but truth was 2011's album Relax achieved actual commercial clout, at least partially due to a Sony distribution deal. For a brief moment, Death Racist had a true taste of fame. Relax peaked at number 11 on the Billboard album charts. Their song Girl appeared in an ad for Target. They had a completely preposterous appearance on Conan O'Brien. And there was a cover story of them on Spin Magazine. But in true Das Racist fashion, everything was part serious and part comedy. In regards to becoming more financially able, Heems joked that he wanted to start dressing more like a British colonialist in a red coat and maybe lighten his skin with that money. Now, if you've only heard two Das Racist songs, chances are the other one is called Michael Jackson. Its bonehead chorus goes, Michael Jackson, one million dollars. You feel me? Holler. That sure sounds like placeholder lyrics to me, but no, it actually appeared in a pre-Das Racist song by Cool AD called I Zimbra, alongside the chorus for Combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell as well. So apparently it's a finished product. Relax also contains a retread of Rainbow in the Dark, a, a standout song from the first mixtape. So you must wonder if there was just nothing left in the tank for this one. Then on the other hand, they dropped some incredible songs like the title track, plus the missing title track from Shut Up Man, and Punjabi song, which makes you think otherwise. So again, the good stuff is good, 
It's still a bit too long, though. Beloved critic Robert Criscow claimed this was the album of the year for 2011. Your mileage may vary. Hello, welcome back to Temporary Fandoms, the Das Racist episode. And if, like me, you read Das Racist as like Das Boot, um, you're wrong. Um, we have discovered that it's more... Brendan, it's not like Das as in Das Boot. It's yeah, it's like Das as in like a slurred Dats. You know, they took their name from the um, Wonder Chosen meme of the little boy exaggeratedly saying, That's racist! And they just thought it was really funny and said, uh, you know, well, that's the name of our group. Yeah, I, I always just assumed that's what I meant, how Americans pronounce Das. So like, yeah, I'm going to watch Das Boot rather than Das as in the, 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 the But I also Prussian. think they, they were well aware of the, the way it worked the other way as well, to the extent that I saw, you know, the, you sometimes saw their name written in a kind of Germanic font. I mean, you're really going for the whole Das Boot thing if you, if you do that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think they went for, they were definitely thinking of Maximum Shock. Uh-huh. But maximum tongue in cheek as well. Yeah. Sorry, I've got an image of a maximum, a big tongue in the cheek now. Yeah, don't, anyway. don't pursue that too far. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna start. Um, Brandon, we've already looked at how the we've already talked about how it's probably the early teens where they came out, and they came out of Brooklyn. Um, what was happening? What what what? Who were their peers at the time? Um, how did they come about? I mean. It was mixtapes at first, right? Um, what was going on? So what, I think what was happening really, at least from my perspective, like when I sort of stumbled upon these guys, it, it seemed like a lot of like rap acts were ignoring putting out records and just sort of like putting their albums on uh, like tumblers and, and, and downloadable sites like that. I mean, I think back like the early uh, 10s, you know, like Odd Future, like they put out so much stuff and now I think Odd, Odd Future is probably, you know, definitely must avoid music. But at the time, it seemed like really fresh and exciting, certainly like Earl Sweatshirt and things like that. But so I think it was around them. And I can't remember uh, which came first, but certainly Death Racist was one of them. We had Mother, Mr. Motherfucking Esquire. Uh, the Run the Jewels came out a little bit later. Danny Brown was another one. And it just seemed like a really fresh and exciting time of people sort of saying like, you know what, we're just going to throw everything up against the wall, just see what sticks and not really worry about anything like commercial. Uh, I mean, some of the stuff was very commercial, but some of it was, you know, just sort of goofing around and, and having a laugh and, you know, just sort of trying to get a, a, a name made for themselves. And so it seemed like a really fresh and exciting time because uh, there were no rules. It felt like the Wild West. and. Um, yeah, I think Das Race is certainly uh, like for me kind of uh, made made an impression uh, through humor. Uh, I mean, a lot of these acts were very funny, uh, certainly all of them. But I mean, you don't listen to like Run the Jewels and go, "Oh yeah, that's like a funny act." I mean, there's a lot of funny lines in there, or you know, um, you know, like the schlock horror Wu Tang Neptune's thing that Odd Future was doing was also really funny, but it didn't immediately come across as like funny. Whereas like Das Racist, the name's funny. I mean, they hit your, the, the, the mixtapes are funny as hell. And then like, of course the, the first song and probably the only song that most people have ever heard of by Das Racist is combination uh, Pizza Hut and Taco Bell, which is- Which was, which was 2008. I think that was the first thing that came out. So that sort of precursed, precursed everything else. And um, 
from what I can gather, it, it, before obviously before they came across the pond uh, to my ears, I mean that was that was massive, right? That's what sort of got everyone's attention before the mixtapes. It was this came out became a meme before they were before exactly. they were known. Exactly, and I think that they they sort of took that to their uh, they played that to their advantage of sort of like sort of thinking in a meme way. A lot of the videos that they made, uh, like especially like who's that Brown and maybe later on a little bit, Michael Jackson, you know, these are like really high concept, funny treatments that you didn't just want to watch and watch again, but you had to share with them, with other people. So I think they kind of, they sort of glommed onto that. I mean, that came out in 2008. Um, there were two guys went to Wesleyan uh, University, moved to New York, formed the band. Um, yeah, they were, met at uh, the univer- uh, Wesleyan University's Students of Color for Social Justice dorm, where uh, one of the rappers, uh, Cool AD, was the RA uh, resident assistant for uh, Heems. And they struck a friendship there. And then uh, it was later, uh, uh, Cool AD was originally from uh, Oakland. And uh, uh, Himanshu uh, was from uh, Queens, I think. But then they moved over to Brooklyn and they tapped their, um, Heems' uh, high school friend, uh, Ashok Kandabalu, who was the um, younger brother of the stand-up comic Hari Kandabalu. And they brought him as a hype man, and then uh, that was it. Then they just started uh, doing shows, and like I said, uh, you know, kind of. I, I mean, for me, it's own from there. And that's it. I mean, like looking at say the the first mixtape that came up, which was uh, "Shut Up, Dude," which included combination Peter Hut and Taco Bell. I mean, listening to some of the stuff on there when I first heard it, the one thing it reminded me of was if you remember Edan. Oh yeah, um, Eden Be- was huge. Beauty yeah. and the Beat, Primitive yep. Plus. I mean, they, there's one track, and I know it's it's going on the easy food motif. There's one track where Eden basically just wraps a list of food or sandwiches and, and delicious stuff. And he's just obviously he's playing with the rhymes, he's playing with the words. I remember my wife walking in going, Is he just talking about pastrami sandwiches? And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> uh, and then and then when I heard Sharp Dude for the first time, and there's there's oh, there's playful takes on obviously uh, fast food, um, pop culture, um, as well as intelligent, really inter- intelligent lyrics coming in, but done in a sort of really sarcastic, I can't be bothered, but can be bothered. Yeah, I mean, way. I think they thread a, a real uh, thin line between high art and low brow in term, and, and not only in terms of like really uh, complicated internal rhyme schemes, but also, you know, rhyming, a word with itself, for example, you know, like uh, the best rapper is be real. Come on, jokes. Uh, it's us. Come on, be real. It's the same word, but it isn't the same word. And it has another meaning. And, uh, you know, I, it, it's it, it's almost it almost feels like you're 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 hanging out with somebody and they're just like trying to be the funniest motherfuckers on the planet. And then the other guy's like, oh, yeah, hold my beer and I'm going to be even funnier than you. And then, and then the other guy's like, no, 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 I got to dance around a little bit. And they're like, sit down, man. And then they do it again. And it's, it's just, it, it, yeah, it, it, the, it felt like the Beastie Boys. Like the first time I heard it, I yeah. was like, you know, this is, these guys are going to be gigantic. You know, that first mixtape, I, I just was like, 
holy holy shit this is this is what we need this seems like and then whatever so i mean i think i think i think on that i mean i'll, I'll move it to emily in a second if, uh, if that's okay but um i think for me and this sounds like a weird reference point i'm not talking about the the ability to rap i'm talking about the the choice of things to rap about is uh, late 80s early 90s um uk band pop will eat itself decided oh God, they wanted yeah. to just they wanted to start <laughs> yeah. rapping and they were suddenly they were like they were like a beastie a, a bedroom beastie boys rapping about watchmen comics and big macs and and mm. drinking Alan coca-cola Moore knows the score man Rips. Exactly, yeah. and I got a, I got it? a lot of, I got a lot of that vibe in terms of, but no one else is rapping about this sort of shit. Uh, when I, when I heard the first one, um, Emily. Um, in terms of, in terms of this style of music, first of all, is this your style of music? I know you, you quite like a, a, a punkier sound at times. And also, when did, did, did were you aware of them at this point? I think um I mean I, th- I think I was aware of like the combination Pizza Hut and, and Taco Bell uh, when, <laughs> when it came out, but I think I didn't actually listen to um like I didn't listen to the first couple mixtapes until a few years later. I, I like um I like a lot of hip hop, but I think this came out at a time when I I just wasn't you know you kind of go through different periods where you're listening to more or less of different types of things. And I just wasn't paying a lot of attention to like new stuff that was going on um in like American hip hop at that time. So I actually I came. I came to this a little bit later um, and and maybe was actually, you know, even though I was aware of Combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell, I don't, I just, I think it, it wasn't overexposed for me in a way <laughs> that I think um, could be detrimental to somebody getting into it. Um, so I like, I really like, I like this first mixtape a lot and I just, I really like that. Um, I like the playfulness of it a lot. It, it just sound like they're having a great time and um it just sounds sort of like effortless even though a lot of it is like i think that's like the sort of like the magic trick that they pull on these first two mixtapes in particular they're really doing like quite complicated stuff uh at many points but it just sounds it sounds totally effortless to the point where it's i think it's really easy to kind of like underestimate um the complexity of what's going on um and also just like the contrast because sometimes it's quite complex and sometimes it's really quite not <laughs> complex like what is it that um is it on uh Ekshanish? is that the the name of uh the track where i think like they've got all of these uh, like it's one of the most like at certain points lyrically dense tracks they've got you know these crazy um you know bits where there's just a million different references um like you have to like pause it almost to like keep track of what's going on but then and then like the next line he'll like end it with something like drinking beer drinking beer probably drinking some more beer which is not (laughs) (laughs) um and i i just i think that's like part of the humor of it too is that they're just kind of refusing to to settle into to just one register um a quick question i mean this is mainly aimed at this aimed at mainly emily and and brendan because growing up in the uk we have this horrible his history and tradition of of novelty singles Mm. that get released that get to number one morris minor and the majors stutter rap star trekking um doctor in the tardis the mr blobby song i mean these are horrendous things that are released as comedy comedy singles and people buy them um Mm. if combination pizza hut and taco bell had come out in the uk i think it would have been seen as oh novelty single i would have been bracketed into that do you get that in, in the us or not brendan no, not so much. However, 
I think if Combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell had come out today on TikTok, it would be a number one single. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, because, you know, you look at like um, Old Town Road, you know, that like blew up entirely because of uh, TikTok. Uh, and it was sort of, I mean, it has a toe in the in the novelty uh, uh, pool. It's not a straight up novelty comedy song. I know which I know those songs. You and my wife's uh, from York, old York, so I know some of these songs. Remember, you're a womble. You know, I know that one. Oh, classic. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so you know, we don't have that, but but it's mostly because I think the charts are um, dictated by uh, record sales, uh, streams, uh, YouTube uh, streams, and then the Illuminati. So, uh, I, I, whereas I think in England, it's like straight up, like however many records you saw, you know, uh, how else do you explain like Iron Maiden having a number one song and a a truly terrible Iron Maiden number one song, except convincing all their fans to buy, you know, bring your daughter to the slaughter. So, you know, yeah. Um, I think, I think if you go back and look at the history of British number one singles, like you might as people might assume it's all oh Merry Christmas and here's a good Christmas and having a good Christmas. Oh no, there's some truly awful novelty records in there that you just yeah. question yeah, how so they saw the light of day. And what I think I think because them, of that, yeah. you it's easier to get a number one. I mean, get a novelty number one because you know you just hit the zeitgeist and people are like, uh, I'll Rage Against the Machine did it. Yeah, in the UK, Rage Against the Machine did it in the UK because basically everyone went, we don't want X Factor to have a number one. And Rage Against the Machine went, all right, buy ours. And Killing in the Name of got to number one at Christmas, uh, 15 to 20 years after it was originally released. Yeah. There you go. So anyway, point stands. I think if that song came out today on uh, TikTok, it would be uh, it would be a hit. Can I, I think can I... That when you said... Sorry, yeah, Nick. No, I was just going to say, like, a lot of um, our entirely imaginary listeners are old farts like me. So I'm just going to ask it. What the fuck is a mixtape? <laughs> yeah, I think we tried to discuss that, and I guess we concluded a mixtape is something you give away for free, and it may right. not have, um, uh, you know, it might use uh, already uh, sourced uh, or uncleared samples, that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Whereas, like a, a a record is something a little more ah. polished, you know. On the um, what is it? Uh, uh, no, shut up, dude. They use. Uh, you know, the uncleared uh, Jules Santana uh, right. sample so li- for literally the, just and, a way and to get around and stuff like that. So go ahead. So it's, so it's literally just a way to get around sample clearances. Yeah, probably. I mean, and also it's, it's free distribution as well. You hand out yeah, and say, yeah. take this and say, yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking. It's just, you know, that I'm just try, trying to understand or get my head around what the difference is. If you say this is a mixtape, this is an album. What are the, what are the key features that make them different things? Money. It is money. What was paid for? (laughs) And I think what sort of, what, what kind of, I think what sort of was lost in a lot of these like acts that I was saying before, like Danny Brown or Tyler, the creator and stuff like that, when they just sort of gave away their stuff for free, it immediately devalued it. Right. So when it became to a point where they're like, okay, now you need to pay for this. And it's not to say that they didn't make, I'm sure they've made money and, and I'm not worried about them. I think they all have careers. Uh, they're not on they're not on food stamps or anything like that, but it does immediately devalue 
music. I think when you give it away for free and then expect money later on. Now, at the same token, I don't remember the last record I bought. I used to buy a ridiculous amount of records, but that was back when you, if you needed a song, this was, you know, before, talk about old fart, this is before like file sharing. So, whereas now, I mean, Spotify couldn't get my credit card fast enough when I saw that, because I'm like, oh, this is going to be so much easier to just like type out something instead of having to scour the dark web into some scary Russian website and download Christ knows what else, as well as the new uh, Goon Sacks record or something. You know, I could just like listen to it on uh, Spotify. So I think, you know, music is already devalued. It's sort of, it's like, I don't know. It's like, which came first, the chicken or the egg? When did music get devalued? It probably, people could, would say it got devalued the second it was recorded. The Beatles ruined it by recording everything you know, piecemeal instead of like live to tape with one mic in the room. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think there was that, but I think, I think it's when it hit the things like the mainstream. So even Napster, even when Napster was there and then Kazaa or, or whichever one people used, it was still a minority of people who used it. Um, but it was, a, so but most... it was enough to make a huge splash. I mean, you know, Metallica oh, yeah. made asses but my, of themselves suing. Uh... Members of my family would still be buying record CDs. Because the idea of going onto a file sharing for most people was still quite scary, and CD sales were still very, very good at the time. Mm-hmm. But once, and then iTunes came along and went, you can just buy one song. You don't need to buy the album and hate the rest. Just buy one song. So people got used to just piecemeal, but paying for what they liked. And yeah. then Spotify turned up, and everybody went, "What? This is legitimate?" Because mm. there's still people who are like, "I don't want to download a file. I can't download them." an mp3 or a, a record um second spotify turned up people got used to it and um, mm. i've seen very good friends of mine do mental gymnastics trying to justify why not paying for music is better and in the end i'm just thinking yeah you're just trying to justify why you don't want to pay for music mm-hmm. frankly but, sorry but you know to like sort of bring it back to like death racist or something like that like in a way like now that we just have like the universe of music at our fingertips you lose that sort of like hunting uh, that that sort of went along with record hunt record mm-hmm. record consumption before of like sort of discovery picking up the tactile uh, you know the record you're looking mm-hmm. at the art you're trying to figure out like what record should I buy who sh- who you know uh, finding out information about it we have all of this information uh, at our fingertips now in a way the mixtape was sort of like or, or, or even file to file was was still in that record hunting um you know in that universe where you had to like figure out how to get you know where do i get this thing i need to do a little bit of research i need to like discover you know discover it nowadays you could just put on you know whatever like the streaming site of your your uh, selection and once the record's done, they're going to be like, here's a bunch of other stuff that sounds exactly like it. And we're going to make, we're going to do all the hard work for you. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, like the mixtape was, was like the last bit of like kind of going out and searching for yeah. that record. Right. Maybe, I, just, I don't I, know. Maybe that's a little like. No, but I think you're right. I think controlled distribution. But it's controlled distribution as well. Um, so it's a combination, obviously, getting around legal issues. Getting it, put, If you put a mixtape in someone's hand and they like it, they go, ah, oh, I've got a thing someone else doesn't have. Mm. I need to share this. Yeah, that's now, granted, true. these mixtapes became digital and then they were 
just freely available anyway. Right. But yeah, it, it did give them a legal out. But yeah, you said second you've got something, oh, you don't know about this. Right. And I think everyone on this call, uh, Nick, Emily, probably agrees that at some point in your past, you're like, oh my God, you haven't heard of mm-hmm. X? Yeah. Let me educate you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, yeah, but then I formed a little Facebook group that lets us safely <laughs> discharge that side of our personality <laughs> and lead normal lives. Until we made a podcast out of it, and now we're all fucked oh, again. Yeah. Um, okay, let's let's talk about the mixtape. This mixtape, not the mixtape. Uh, uh, so we've obviously got yeah. a combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell, which after I discovered, I found a million versions of on YouTube of people reenacting it. Um, my favorite thing is immediately after combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell, a track where two people cannot find each other at a fast food place. You've got Rainbow in the Dark. Mm-hmm. And they start off in, I'm at White Castle. White Castle. I can't see kids. <laughs> <laughs> and then they rhyme chicken sandwiches with it's, it's outlandish, outlandish kids. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Brilliant. Fucking great. Fucking great. But also, if you're yeah. mentioning Rainbow in the Dark, uh, Ewan, did you pick up on the uh, Neutral Milk Hotel reference? Oh, yeah, Jeff Mangum. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I figured you'd, you know, you'd, you'd want that one. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I was very happy with that one. In a track about people trying to find somewhere to go, for, go to the toilet. Yeah, pr- yeah. that's exactly where I'd want to be. <laughs> The line is, uh, catch me at the crib getting light to Jeff Mangum. It's fun to do bad things like rhyme about handguns. Probably rhymes in an American accent. <laughs> um, oh, no, it doesn't um, rhyme at all, but I mean, that's fine. <laughs> it's and, and, then, and then after that, which is this great, dark, laconic track, you, got, you go straight into fake patois, which mm, is it's just hilarious. The first time you hear fake patois as a track, it's just brilliant. I, I'm pissing myself laughing. You know, I, I'm not even going to try and run the list of like all the artists they, they, they point out for having this fake Jamaican patois. Um, and then you've got, you know, who, like it's already been mentioned, uh, who's that brown? We've got chicken and meat, Hugo Chavez. I mean, it is just, I'm going to use the word cast iron banger after cast iron banger. Uh, basically, yeah. I mean, I think that's what more can, what, we're done. Let's go on to the next one. <laughs> I do think uh, I do think there's a little. I mean, I I really like the first one a lot. I do I do feel like there's a little bit more. I'm not filler. Filler is a little a little too stronger than what I mean. But I think there's some stuff towards the end that is not. Is, is it's not definitely quite fun. as it, tight, you know. It's definitely you know front heavy for sure. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, it's, of that. it's over an hour long, right? I mean, so if it, if it oh if these were things gonna... are all like interminably long. Yeah. yeah. Do you think? Do you think, and this might be me reading too much into this, um, I've often considered that the, the death of the, the long player format was not so much the death of vinyl, but the death of tape. And because with a tape, you would listen to the first half on the way somewhere and you physically were halfway through. You had to listen to the end unless you rewound it or fast forwarded it to get back to the beginning. A mixtape on cassette may have less filler at the end because people are going to listen all the way through it by default. On well, it's CD 45 or... minutes on the side, so that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And like the CD, I think it was like 70 minutes, right? Mm. And you, were physically, big... you were physically halfway through the tape. It's not like with a CD man, the first one, you got your first disc man, and you pull it in. Every time you hit play, it went to, went to track one. Right. Whereas you came out of school, university, work, whatever, with, yep. with a woman. Yeah. And you were halfway through, That's you know, true. you had, you were physically in the, in listening to the second yeah, half. True. I think people have stopped listening to the second half. And so digital mixtapes may front load them. 
because people's attention span these days is going to just, well, do the first bit. Oh, listen to that, the first bit. And people rarely get to the end these days because well, of that. I mean, there's just so much music, right? I mean, you can't, you, there's just so much noise. There's so much content out there that you just have to, Yeah, I mean, everything's an elevator pitch now. You have exactly one second to nail it. And it, otherwise it's like moving on to the next thing. Cause like, mm-hmm. what's the point? Like when you bought something, you felt like, okay, I've spent $15 on the CD. I have a financial, uh, uh, you know, investment in this product. So I have to like, at least get my $15 out of it. I don't, yeah. I don't know anybody shit. I mean, actually that's one of the songs. I don't, yeah. I don't know anybody <laughs> shit. Uh, I don't know. Oh, nobody shit uh, on that, on this uh, mixtape, but yeah, you just, it's like, it's up. It's up to the the creator to like blow you out of the water immediately. Otherwise, like, what's the point? So, I mean, I I, I look at this mixtape, and it's funny. So, like, the fir- the song that everyone knows is at the three spot, right? Mm-hmm. But it has two phenomenal tracks ahead of it. Who's that Brown? And you ought to know. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and there's there with the uh, the Jules Santana sample. I think it's Jules Santana, right? That they uh, didn't. Uh, he made the beat, I think, but um, um, yeah. Uh, where am I going with this? It's uh, oh, yeah. yeah, Rainbow in the Dark, Fake Patois, Nutmeg. There's with the uh, the uh, Ghostface Killer um uh, sample from um Supreme Clientele. Shorty said that's funny as hell. Chicken and meat, yeah. So like the first eight are like fire, I'd say. Yeah. Here's our stuff. Listen to it. If you've got time, listen to the rest. Yeah. And then the other thing is, I don't own nobody shit. That's that's kind of stupid. But Actionese, we've already discussed that. Hugo Chavez. Yeah, those are great. It's uh, It definitely loses the plot shortly after that. I think, yeah, it's like around there where it's... I think also, I mean, like, I... I t- uh, aside from uh, Combination Pizza and Taco Bell, I, you know, like, I feel like they have throughout, you know, like these three releases, they have songs where they're really rapping and then there there are songs where i like i don't know what the right term for it is the sort of like i think of them as like the party songs where there's they're not they're not really actually rapping very much like i don't it's know just hype. it's just it's three like, minutes of hype yeah 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 like um coochie dip city comes to mind for mm-hmm, example mm-hmm. which is a song that i i kind of never need to i never really need to hear it again um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of those think, actually on this. <laughs> so, like, and those are like I feel like those tracks are kind. Of, those those are just my the, for me. Those are my less less favored tracks, and they're 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 kind of more highly concentrated towards the end of, of this one. I do like that the last track on the uh, on the mixtape is called "Deep Ass Shit." You'll get it when you're high. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember anything else about the track, just the name. <laughs> the look on Nick's face right now is is the same look as just imagine. I mean. I, I'm 46. Nick's about my age. Just imagine 46 year old male, white males from England reading it. Go, what? What is this? What? I don't understand. <laughs> uh, okay, so probably a good time to move on. We've talked a lot about the mixtapes. Full stop. But let's focus a little bit on "Sit Down, Man." I would say that the the lesser known of their two, um, although they came out the same year right right after uh, one after another i mean it was like like six months or something like that right i think it was even less than i mean like certainly i'd heard of it and then like they dropped the video for who's that brown and at the end they're like hey check it out we got another mixtape and you're like jesus christ guys you've already put out 70 minutes of material we don't need any more but um but the answer was no actually we did need some more and and that was the um 
And that was, uh, yeah, sit down, man. Let's pull that one up for a sec. Yeah. And, and this one, this one has the very laconic, I think it was the ha, 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 oh, yeah. JK question We're mark. Joking, I'm joking. joking. I'm not joking. I'm joking. I'm not joking. I'm joking. Which is, which is great. It could sound awful to, if you didn't appreciate what they were trying to do with it. But as a sort of, oh, this is, you're playing with the genre. But it's you're also, having fun. I mean, it's a tension at the, at the heart of the band because it feels like that, I don't know. I think early on they were, they were mostly joking, but they, they were, you know, with serious things. And then later on, they just didn't really seem to know whether they were joking or not anymore. And that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. It's getting onto the, the, the album release. So I don't want to talk about that just yet. But I do feel that there was a sort of, at some point, there was an identity crisis in Das Races. And maybe when they wanted to be taken oh, yeah. seriously rather than this band of stoners. And you could definitely hear that. And, and by the way, speaking of like stoners, can we just take a second to discuss like the sheer give a shit brilliance of the album covers of the two mixtapes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, I think part of the reason I really dug uh, at least the first two mixtapes was like, I recognized immediately myself in this. I've sat on that shitty couch that they're sitting on, <laughs> on the first mixtape with my friends. We're all holding a beer, you know, maybe somebody's playing with a basketball and stuff and we're just fucking busting each other's chops the whole time. And it's and it's like yes, I know these I know these guys because they're me, you mm -hmm. know. And it's like and you listen to it, yeah. and you're like, yeah, this is exactly, and the same thing like the sit down man, you know. Again, I think are they back on the same shitty couch? Oh no, they're on a different couch. It, it's actually yeah. been upgraded to a. Uh, uh, <laughs> That's all that mixtape money. <laughs> <laughs> all that mixtape money. It's now suddenly a uh, leather couch, with uh, oh. with AD uh, passed out. Yeah. See, because like, and who among us hasn't passed out on a couch before, right? So I, uh, I, I have nothing to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> how were they? How was? How was the reception? I've read a couple of interviews that sort of happened where people were like, "What? Well, how did you guys that went to a nice university end up doing rap?" They're like, "What? You want us to be uneducated or something?" Like they were sort of ex. The reception was sort of, "You're a joke band. You're not a joke band. You're too smart for this." And obviously, you know. They were, they were um, second generation immigration. Uh, for example, Heems. I also want to say Heems because that's how it would be pronounced in Dutch for some reason. Heems. Uh, <laughs> two E's. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I know, but where's yeah, the Dutch bit come in? I lived in You're Holland. not Dutch. <laughs> He's not Dutch. How were, how were they received? Does anybody know? Well, that was, I mean, that oh, yeah. was the big problem. I mean, they, you know, like, how do you, they're clearly a joke, but they're clearly not a joke. And then when you're like, why are you guys serious? Then then they suddenly were like, it, it became like performance art. You know, all these interviews, like they were interviewed by the, you know, the Times. Uh, they had a cover in um, Spin Magazine. And like the whole thing was taken as seriously as like any other bullshit session with your friends on the couch. It was like they were sort of allergic to being uh, a professional unit. And um, and I think that that's that's sort of what what kind of is is part of the charm, obviously, believe me. And I think humor goes a long way for this. But it, it's also the frustrating end of it, because you sort of want to go, hey, guys, you really have something here. You have you've got the total package. Just give a shit a little bit, you know, like they made yeah. some like very professional and funny as hell videos. And they made some like truly terrible videos. They made some 
fantastic. I mean, like I look at like Sit Down Man. Sit Down Man gets a lot more uh, praise in the media, and I think part of it was because everyone slept on it the first mixtape and they were like, Oh, these guys are a joke. We can't take this seriously. None of these songs are, you know, really all that special. And it's mostly because they got butt hurt that they didn't really get in at the jump. And so now we have sit down, man. It's obviously a little more professional that, you know, uh, it's got chops. Like the first song, the first track is just them goofing around on the stretch and Bobito show. So obviously they had, you know, props from the underground New York at that point. Uh, and I, I think all the songs, there's no other, I think these are all the songs that either they did themselves beat wise or hired out people to do. So I think in some ways it felt a little more of a professional record. And so I think the, the media sort of glommed onto it as a way to sort of talk about the other one, but sort of say like, Hey, these guys are doing something. Uh, but for the heads who were there from the jump, it's I I don't know many people who are as there's some fin- phenomenal songs on it. Like you said, haha, joking. Uh, I'll put in all tan everything uh, with someone with the Lacutus is on it. It's uh, oh, uh, irresponsible. Is oh, it irresponsible? Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. It's irresponsible. irresponsible is like one of the strongest tracks, top to bottom. That's also got a terrible video, by the way. But. Um, so a lot of people loved it, but I, I think it was more of like, oops, we, we missed the boat. And so let's... Uh... Um, do, do you think there's an element of... A lot of the time with, with, with bands, with signed bands, the first album they've been working on for years, it's a collection of the best shit they've done over a two, three-year period, and they put it down. And then they get, then they get signed up, and they've got to do it again. And they, they're yeah, writing they like new stuff. Three weeks f- to do it, yeah, I know. I do you think this is the same. I think there is absolutely an element to this. I do think that, like I had mentioned earlier when I said that I feel like there was a a sort of fear of success, right? Part of the charm was to be irreverent but and, and be professional, but also to like sort of like, ha, uh, you know, just, we're going to get, a, you know, we're not going to take, take ourselves too seriously. So I think that that kind of hindered themselves. And I think that the same thing happened with these mixtapes is that they probably, I mean, it, some of these songs, uh, like uh, combination pizza and Taco Bell and uh, Michael Jackson uh, predate. I mean, they go back to Wesleyan uh, when Cool AD did a song uh, where it had all of these elements in it. So this stuff has been lying around forever. So I mean, it's not like I think they were just sort of making it up. I mean, they've been working on this forever. So they probably had all this stuff in a can. I mean, in some ways, what's great about um, technology being what it is today, you can work, you can like put out brilliant bedroom records you could put out like four a year if you're like a genius right right? and but the problem is is that you know there's only like so many people who put (laughs) could put out that much material and so they do need an editor so i do think that um and that's that's a big that's not just a problem with death races like i said that's like with a lot of people um i do think it's also the mixtape thing this is self we we chose what's on this so, so if it had gone for an album and it had been 45 minutes long, there's enough material on Sit Down Man for a really good album. Yeah. But as a mixtape, I, I, I kind of lose focus about, I don't know, halfway through. So, I, you know, not much of the latter part of it really makes much impact on me. And, yeah, and, and, and again, coming hot in the heels off of one that starts off like gangbusters, eight songs, right out the, right out the gate, awesome. 
it it does seem like a bit of a step down. It does sort of feel like they've run out of, they're kind of running on empty, which was probably not the case. It was probably like, like I said, this stuff probably has been around and they just decided like, all right, we'll put this one first and then we'll do this one next. And I mean, I think they do understand intuitively how tough it is to promote yourself for free on the internet nowadays. You know, like you have to basically always have content. It doesn't matter how stupid it is. It's just, you need to be part of the discussion. Otherwise there's just no reason to keep going. So you put out a mixtape, you put out a video, you put out another mixtape, you put out another video. And so I think they instinctively knew to do that even when it really was the wild west. I mean, nowadays, like you have to, that's the business model. You just have to do it. You know, what's, what the fuck's a record? Who cares? You know, it's like, you got to put out a single and then a, and then a video, and then you got to do a remix of that single and do a video for that. It's just like, and then a TikTok, And then it's just like, you have to have something all the time. So I think in some ways that was the, they were, they were in between the two eras, right? Where it's like, it was still album oriented, but they knew you had to have content to be. Yeah. Cause they had. Combination Pizza and Taco Bell sort of blew up, wait, 2008, 2009. Right. And then, so then and, it was then like two mixed... years before yeah. they finally put it all out. But it's a very short that... time between the first thing they put out and the last. You know, like the, right. we're doing these two mixtapes of both 2010 and then the one album is 2011. So it all happened. Well, let's like a, happened well, really let's move on to that. Let's move on to, to, to the album and also try and talk about how <laughs> the album sort of falls flat. Um, brief aside, I saw. Das races by accident um, between the mixtapes and the album. I was at Primavera Sound in Barcelona. And I, th- I think we'd watch some kind of shit like Peacock or something. And we're like, oh, what's what's on at this bit over there? Oh, Das racist. No idea. What, no idea. Like literally, it was words on a piece of paper. And they were playing the little stage down by the water, right in the corner, one o'clock in the morning. And they were fucking amazing. They were chaos on stage. They were, I mean, I knew, I didn't, I didn't know Combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. For me, Michael Jackson, which they played, was the, was the big one that they were just shouting and shouting. And then halfway through a track, suddenly blaring over the speakers came uh, Tina Turner's Simply the Best. And they all fell to the floor, grabbing, holding their, their, their ears, uh, screaming, screaming at the noise, and all crawled off the stage. And we were there, oh, Oh, that's it. Oh, that's the end. Oh, okay. Uh, I have. Oh, I have no idea how to compete with this. We're all waiting for them to come back, but Tina Turner just kept playing, and they never came back. Um, and then we, we we got back to the UK. I found the mixtape, so I was like, "This is this is brilliant." And then the album came out not long after for me, and it's they. We're talking about run out of steam before, and we're talking about needing an editor. This feels like they 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 got a deal. And they went, oh, shit. I suppose we better do, do something now. It's, it's turned into work now. It's not fun anymore now. You know, I mean, for me, the, the album sounds yeah. flat as fuck. Yeah, I tried really hard to like it. <laughs> Michael just... Jackson's brilliant. I like Michael Jackson because of the, the stupidity of just yeah. shouting out, Michael Jackson, a million dollars. Yeah, you but feel you know, me, if that had been on the mixtape, <laughs> it would have just been one of many funnier sides on one of the mixtapes. But on the album, it's the highlight. <laughs> you know, it's, there isn't, I don't know. I don't, what if yeah, I, what if I, I don't really on. like this one at all. I mean, there's really not much more to say about it. I, I think, uh, I think you've really touched upon it. it it's that sort of, I think it's tough when you sort of like find a band in the underground 
when we when we brought up uh you mentioned this earlier Ewan it's like you feel the need I need I have to share this with everybody this is like the greatest thing I have ever heard in my entire life and I need to share this with everybody and and I think for me like we're all at least certainly all the guys here are sports fans oh Emily watches the uh Tour de France so we're all we're all sports fans here right and um you know there's a bit of like cheering on a team when you when you sort of discover that 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 uh the new band or the new act or whoever and i think the 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 problem with das races had was that i wanted them to be really big and i felt like they they had the thing they could be really big but they just flat out refused to do it and and part of it probably was like exhaustion probably part of it was just like not having fun anymore because it does become a job and it loses that it loses that initial they lose the initial fun and i find that actually happens a lot with a lot of bands when you find them in the small on the in the nascent stages they're like holy shit these guys are onto something and you know again they're only playing like bars for their friends you know like they have like a very small audience you know maybe they're like regionally famous and then like a blog like picks up on them maybe or or, or something viral happens and you're like, you know, these guys are the next big thing. And so then, you know, they rise to the occasion, but then, like you said, it becomes a job and it's a real downer because, uh, you know, it, you, you, it loses that charm, you know, the, the, do you uh, think, I mean, you, you, you touched on the point about how as music fans, we discover things and we root for them. And then maybe when they become famous, we sort of stop rooting for them because they're famous. Do you think, and this is for not everyone. Necessi- no, it, not necessarily. That's not true. And sometimes the paradox of like wanting them to be successful and them not it is in some ways like what's really appealing about a band because sometimes you, you know, like I've got a guy by voices shirt on and I mean like I wanted them to be gigantic. But the thing is, is that the thing that made them to, like successful artistically to me was that there's no possible way in hell they could ever be gigantic. They were a very small band and that's that was where in their or their charm lied. So they could never have ever been a big thing. And I think the thing with Death Racist is that they immediately had that glass ceiling placed over their head, A, with their name, B, with the fact that they couldn't take themselves seriously, and C, well, I don't know how many, like, hooks they really had, you know? So, I mean, I think, like, when you go into, like, underground rap, like, you're only going to get a, a, you know, to be if you get as big as, like, say... I don't know, Raekwon or somebody like that, then you're like, all right, that's like real, that's like the big shit, right? But they're not going to be Drake. They're never going to be, you know, anybody famous. Yeah, but I mean, so but who's who, who's ever going to, like most bands get into it. Like bands don't come and go, I, we are going to be the next Arctic Monkeys, Queens of the Stone Age, whoever are, are big. Most of the time they want to get to a certain level of stardom or success, or artistic success, or whatever, and usually they're rooting for themselves as well. It, there's sort of an element of this that feels that Dallas racists were rooting for themselves until they got the record deal, yeah. and then they were no longer rooting for themselves. Yeah, Emily, it, it almost kind of sounds to me like on this record, like they've kind of like lost lost interest. You know, like they're not <laughs> like they they said they were going to do it, and they have this deal, and they're so they're going to do it. But they don't. I mean, it it just kind of lacks. Like to me, what was one of the most like endearing things about like uh, the first couple mixtapes, and especially the first one, was again like that just sort of like that effortless quality to it. And like somehow, 
on this one. It just feels to me like, like it does not feel effortless. It feels like, um, like they're somehow they're trying really hard, but they don't really care. <laughs> you know, like they're they're not actually that invested in the results. I mean, with that said, I mean I do think they're like they're they're like a good handful of tracks on this that I that I think are are quite good. Like I really like um, the title track actually. The one that LP is on is really good too. That is that Shut Up Man. Um, like they're Selena, I like as well. But there's just I feel like with all of these Death Racist albums, there's always like there's at least a handful of tracks that I think are really great. And then there's a certain number that um, I find just really annoying. <laughs> I, like I, I think the it, ratio of the second is, is bigger. Mm-hmm. I think that one. is, I think of the selective, the selective output idea. I mean, I mentioned earlier on Edan and Edan basically had primitive plus and a few EPs and then one album, beauty and the beat, which obviously took him a long time to put together. And I think it's, I think it's flawless from start to finish. He's done nothing since. He's done some mixed stuff and some uh, mix EPs, but he hasn't released another thing since. It was almost like, this is my best stuff. I've been working on this for years. It's yours now. Uh, I'm out. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. <laughs> you know, I, I'm kind of uh, slightly tickled by the irony that there's a, a band that basically what, what we celebrate about them at their best is that they're stoners. And then they get a record deal and we complain that it's half-assed. Well, yeah, you know? but it's like the wrong kind of half-assed. Like, I totally no, exactly. take like, but the this irony is a, this, that, yeah. you know, but like, that's the thing is like something like, um, I mean, like even like Michael Jackson, I like, I think they're, when they actually rap on that, like the mm-hmm. verses are pretty good, but like the chorus is, is, yeah. is, I love is the chorus. Just, oh, it's, <laughs> it's a placeholder. That's what it is. It's, <laughs> like, and I feel it, like there could be something better there like i i don't know like i I don't quite know how to articulate why because it is the stoner thing is part of what is appealing about them but it's it's and it sort of ties into like why these guys would never like be successful because like i think the appeal was that like i can't even believe they're getting away with this was was prevalent in the first certainly in the first for one and a half mixtapes but by by uh relax it's like I mean, even the title says, like, come on, you know, just just relax, everybody. And we're like, no, you, you guys need to fucking step it up, man. It's not it's not it's not us that needs to relax. You need to fucking spaz out. Right. That's <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, like when even when you watch uh, there's like uh, they were on um, Conan O'Brien at that time. And uh, they do uh, Michael Jackson, and they brought in uh, two auxiliary drummers. They had a, a, full, a drummer with a full kit, and then two auxiliary drummers. Um, and uh, uh, Cool AD is um, playing a keyboard, and uh, Dap, uh, the hype man, who, by the way, in, can we just talk about hype man? Uh, let's talk about hype man okay. for a bit here. Like, sure. How do I get that job? I mean, this guy has absolutely. <laughs> What's yeah. the definition? I would love what do that we job. define as? What do we define as a hype man? Are we talking, you know, Flavor Flav, or are we including Bez from the Happy Mondays? Gotta Bez, the, you got to you include okay. them both. Okay. You got to include him. You got to both those guys. Bob from Pavement. Hey, you man, got yeah. you got uh, the dancer from um, the Mighty Mighty Boss Towns. Uh, what a job! You basically yeah. like interact with the crowd. You have to have negligible musical talent and uh yet it's a a instrumental 
uh, piece in the band. I think the way you get that job is number one, you're with the band from day one and you have one of two things, the van or the drug connection. If you're, if you're the one buying, getting the drugs, stealing the, sorting out the drugs, if you're the one driving them to the gigs, you can be the hype man. I guess. But I mean, yeah. you'll think of like, but you know, like Flavor Flav, he's probably the, uh, you know, the paragon of that role. A lot of contributions on all the records. A uh, lot of like vital contributions, I would say. You know, 911 is a joke, I think is one of their strongest songs, period. Uh, and that's just Flavor just goofing around. Um, so, but Dap, going back to Das Racist, he did a, he did a uh, like forty five second rattling off of like famous people in uh, you know circa twenty ten, and that's it. That was his entire contribution to this act, <laughs> and uh, and yet he seems to be like a vital component. I mean, he is in the dead center of all three record covers, so they they knew in some ways he's like the heart of the band, and so going back to the uh the video i mean he he does the the chorus and he's doing it from a pulpit and i i can just imagine like if you had somehow never heard of this band you'd have two reactions watching this video this is the most brooklyn bullshit i've ever seen in my entire life (laughs) (laughs) or Pass the bong. I mean, it was just like, it's completely insane. It, it's like so far beyond the pale of like, like comprehension. Yeah. And, um, and this was their first live TV, right? This was their so, first yeah, big I show. I think it was like the yeah. only time. This is, yeah, exactly. And this is like, you have one chance to make an impression. And the impression that they gave was like, we're not ready for prime time. Now, in some ways, in some ways, that was their appeal, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's absolutely. again what was yeah. that's again what was really maddening about these guys mm-hmm. because yeah. like you listen to it and you're like this is fucking great it's so funny it's articulate mm-hmm. I get it I'm 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 with you I went to liberal arts college as well and I don't I don't know what I'm doing with my degree you know you guys get it I mean I but then the other hand you're like you like how many cards had to flip in your direction to get on fucking television and this is what you guys chose to do it's just it's so baffling. <laughs> And not even television, Conan or I know this Netman is like this is a yeah. there's only like so many, you know, uh, broadcast TV opportunities for a band of that stature to have been on, and and this is what you did with it. It was, it was, and, but again, that was part of the. I think that was that was part of their appeal is that like they just couldn't get they just mm-hmm. couldn't get it together. I mean, like I love Tina Turner, but they were definitely blasting Tina Turner at the end of that Primavera show as like a massive joke. Yeah. yeah, and, it, yeah and, and you know what? It stuck with you 20 yeah. years later. So, yeah. I mean, or 10 years later, I can't do math. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but, I um, suddenly, suddenly panicked. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> so, you know, uh, uh, you know, another act, like they kind of remind me of uh, probably around that time too, or actually maybe not. Now that I think about it, maybe I'm getting old. I'm getting my dates all mixed up. It was like La Save Fav, right? Uh, uh-huh. like, like another Brooklyn band. Uh-huh that had exactly zero songs there's nothing redeemable on on any of the records i think but like live they were like you had to see these guys because it was just fucking chaos for 45 minutes and the front guy i've co-opted his look now bald with a crazy beard but uh at the time seemed like like this like lunatic gym teacher 
and they were just playing this yeah. like angular punk rock and it was just you know he was dressed up like a witch and he was like riding a broomstick around the club or he was like 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 building a wall like uh the uh, pink floyd on the front of the stage with all the boxes of empty beer bottles i mean it was just just chaos and you just felt like you needed to see this and and i think i got that impression watching that thing with the das races is that you know you just needed to see it and maybe if you were in the audience and you were a part of it you're like yeah this is the shit but as a commercial entity there's like zero commercial potential there I just want to, I, I don't want to turn this into a, a Le Savi 5 episode, but I just, I just wanted to chime in. Oh, you do? I, I saw your do. face. Actually, you so I do. do. I, 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 saw, I saw them, I saw Le Savi 5 in Boston around. We were probably there. 2000, I don't know, 2010, 2012-ish. Um, and like, and it was, yeah, it was completely, it was completely insane. Like he was like coming out into the, the audience and like grabbing people and like singing into their faces. And like, it was terrifying and awesome. And yeah, they're totally amazing live. Um, okay. So um, we're not going to end there, but we're going to take a brief detour before we do end. Um, they split up. Obviously, they were having no fun anymore. Um, cool AD and Heems went their separate ways. Um, Heems, who was arguably the more talented one, I don't know, I think, he, I, he's well, the one that seemed to have a career afterwards, um, went off, uh, did a few mixtapes, and Eat, Pray, Thug on his own uh, before forming Sweatshop Boys with uh, Riz MC, uh, which would be the name. Um, and then also, I mean, I'm going to mention it. Um, Call AD had his own issues. I mean, by issues, um, was accused by multiple people of sexual assault uh, and gave the most shitty of apologies. Like, well, you have your truth. I'm like, is, is that the case? And he seemed to sort of totally dissociate himself with him at that. Dissociate himself? Disassociate with his former best friend at that time. Um, was Heems the better one musically? I mean, yeah, you seem to you seem to reject that, Brendan, when uh, when you said it. I think it's up for debate. I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, uh, Cool AD probably had a lot more of the memorable lines for me throughout the throughout their discography. But in terms of like where they went, I don't think there's much of a question. Uh, Heems was definitely the visionary, at least on the business side of things. I think he studied economics at uh, Wesleyan. And uh, in fact, the band was funded uh, by a severance package from his uh, Wall Street job that he had. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, I mean, he, he even started a, the own label, the uh, Greedhead, you know, I think, which is probably, again, cheekiness talking about, you know, whatever, capitalism or something, you know, I'm sure these guys are Marxists. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's tough to say. I mean, certainly the Sweatshop Boys is phenomenal, but I think for me, when I listen to that one, it's 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 Riz. He's like, he was like a star from the jump, and he's someone who gets it right. Uh, I haven't seen all his movies, but the 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 Sound of Metal is a very powerful movie, and he just yeah. hits that out of the park. And just to clarify, Riz, MC Riz, is actor Rizwan Ahmed, Sound of Metal, Star Wars, Four Lions, The Night Of, you know, ma major, major, major Hollywood actor now. Um, 
who I believe reached out to Heems because when they were making the HBO series The Night of, uh, because as a he was supposed to be playing a, a, a Muslim New, New Yorker and wanted to reach out to a Muslim New Yorker and go, look, dude, what's your experience like? You know, what? How do people act to react to you? And I think that's how they first got together. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I recently watched that series and and heard the album soon after. And I love that this album came out of making that show. Um, you know, it's it's such a good album. I think, um, and it's the album. I mean, Das Races probably couldn't have made this album, but it's the album that maybe we wish that Relax was, because they were able to. It's it, it, they were able to become serious, but without losing the humor. Yeah, you know, there's still plenty of humor through Kashmir, but it's but it's so sharp. Is there also a really nice contrast between their two styles? Because Riz is sort of spitting out fury at yeah, times. Yeah. Whereas Heems is still sort of, it's almost like it's almost like Heems is sort of like Heems. It seems to be the Ben Affleck to the Matt Damon. One's focused <laughs> doing stuff, and one's just taking the Oscar. But they're both they're both contributing it, to Goodwill Hunting. It almost sounds like he's like slowed down even more. <laughs> like I like his his delivery style. You know, I don't know. It might just be the the contrast to to Riz because he's so he's so rapid fire. You know, but like every time um, Heems would come on on this, I'd be like, whoa. He's really taking his time. <laughs> <laughs> this is not bad. I don't mean that as a diss. I actually, so I, I like this. Album. That would be the greatest diss in a rap battle ever. <laughs> and you just take your time. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I should say too, I, I like this album. I don't, I don't like it as much as, uh, for me, I don't, I just, I get there's like joy that I get out of um, the first two mixtapes that I don't I don't really get out of this. I think I think I don't uh, the production I think is not always my favorite. Like production feels like a little cold on this, um, and I think I don't I don't know for some reason I think it's grown on me as I have um, given it more listens. But at, at at the first listen at least I was not a big fan of 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 Riz's style actually, and I don't know if it was like my ears were trained for a rapper who takes their time. <laughs> so to speak, you know. Like, but I found it like very like jarring that the, you know, the, the switch off between them, you know, the first few times I listened to this, like I, I I was it was giving me giving me whiplash a little bit. Um so I think that's just been that's that's a little bit of a, a barrier for me on this one. Yeah. And I think but I think there is there is definitely a sort of British Asian London uh sound. And obviously, you know, a a it, uh, there's, there's the influences of things like jungle and drum and bass, etc., um, coming through in his in his individual music. And then you've got the Brooklyn sardonic, sarcastic stoner sound, mm. and then banging those two together, it works. Oh. I think it works. Yeah, Brendan? it really works for me. Yeah, I think the production's a lot better. Uh, I I do hear what you're saying. Uh, there's definitely a lot of British. I mean, I I think Grime was kind of dead in the water at that point but i do feel like he had a little bit of that going on uh riz uh was referencing that i mean i here props for a tidy 34 minute record right true you know yeah less less is more and that was maybe something that they learned over time you know just make it short and sweet but t5 is obviously uh, the highlight uh yeah, t5 is great yeah yeah uh, but there's so many songs just about the, the the difficulties of flying whilst Muslim. 
because you got T5, you got no yeah. fly list, you got shoes off. They're yeah. all yeah. all about that yeah. same experience. And, and and there's a story I read once, an article by by Riz Ahmed about that experience of being stopped at the airport, and you know, in a so-called random check. But you know, because he'd been in films, so it was before he was really famous. But he'd been in films like The Road to Guantanamo, you know, which is was sort of documentary, a documentary style film. So you know. So for people with a little bit less nuance, that was like, well, you know, you're that terrorist guy, right? Because you were in the road to Guantanamo. It's, it's ridiculous. But I think it's that focus that I like about this album. It's about something rather than about everything. And maybe Das Racist was about everything in their lives, everything that they that was a reference point to them, whereas this was... This is generally about stuff. Yeah, it's about more important themes. But you know, I mean, that's a good point because, like, when you're in your twenties, like, you think like everything that comes out of your mouth is like God, right? Godhead. It's, it's just like this is the most important thing I've ever said, mm-hmm. and everything that I'm into is like the most important thing ever. And as you get older and a little more wiser, people like don't give a shit, right? And so I think that that was. So I think it's just like Sweatshop Boys is is uh, an extension of just growing older and, and sort of understanding that like, you know, uh, just a little bit of self-editing never hurt. And by the way, that the band name is phenomenal. I mean, I can't believe it took somebody that long to come up with that Do name. Do you know what? I'm slightly embarrassed. I didn't pick up on it straight away. I just, How I don't you know. Not? I just, That's... I don't know. I just, I mean, it's a, I remember thinking it's a great name, but it just didn't. Sweatshop Boys, Pet Shop Boys, didn't occur to me. Don't know why. Don't know why. Just didn't happen. I think that's a perfect time to end. Um, <laughs> we have looked at the, the, the rise and rapid fall and mixtapes and one album of Das Racist um, and briefly looked at what is arguably uh, a more accomplished, if, if not less fun, uh, Sweatshop Boys album. Um, We've also just basically talked about other shit and occasionally mentioned these records, which which, which also <laughs> works for me. <laughs> um, Brendan, thank you ever so much for coming back on. Hey, my pleasure. Let's do it Emily, again in two years, right? Two years from now. Um, 2023. Got it. Sleeping uh, Emily, hogs, right? Oh, Sorry. <laughs> as, as you were. I'm fighting back against Sleeping Mods. I let him have the four. I'm not letting him have sleeping mods. Um, Emily, Emily, thank you for coming back, and we'll we'll see you on season four, right? <laughs> sure thing. Lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, it is now my computer is now saying it's 43 degrees, and I really need to get out of this room. Nick. All right. Cheers. It's Bye. Bye. <laughs>
We were also rejoined by pod regular Emily Baldoni, who you've previously heard on episodes about Björk, Love and Spoon. Was this the first time you've let her loose on an artist with more than one syllable? Probably not. Anyway, thanks Emily. And thank you to my effusive co-host Ewan for keeping the whole thing in motion, from the discussions right through to the edit, and to Jonathan Fisher for our theme tune. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, let us know via a review, a few euros on Patreon, or just come and say hello in the swamp that is social media. We're always happy to hear from you, and in the meantime, I hope we've helped you find some great records. I'm Nick Hilditch, live from the studio, breaking news for them, because Rupert trying to fuck us, and we're all buying lube for him. <laughs>